You are your child's biggest teacher. They learn from you. Even if you think they're not listening, they are observing, they are absorbing everything you do. So it really starts with you. Hi, I'm Alana Gallo. I'm a teacher, a mom to four, and the founder of Play, Learn, Thrive. Join me as I chat with real parents and experts as we explore all things play and child development. It's time to take the focus away from you and put the responsibility of playtime back into your kiddos' hands. So if you're tired of planning, leading, and facilitating play sessions, you've found the right place. Each week, we'll explore the importance of play and how it supports child development, along with simple ways to incorporate play in a purposeful way, so you can raise confident, self-motivated kids who enjoy playing independently. Hey guys, it's Alana here from Play, Learn, Thrive with Kara Zilas, who is the founder of the Social Emotional Curriculum big world of little dude. And it's all about teaching kindness. And we're going to have her introduce herself just a little bit. Hi, uh, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, My name is Cara Zilas. I'm the founder of Big World of Little Dude. We are an educational platform teaching social and emotional skills for children aged three to seven. And we do this through curriculum and book series that uh, you can use in your home. Awesome. So I wanted to, I know that we talked about this before, but just give a little background about your experience. You were an early educator. Is that correct? Yes, uh, I am trained. I'm actually trained in media. And then I worked in the television industry for a few years. And then I retrained as a teacher because I always loved working with children and I wanted a career that had purpose and meaning to, to me. And then when I moved to New York City from Australia, I trained as a Montessori early childhood educator, and I taught in the Montessori school system. And then when I started having a family, I created Big World of Little Dude out of an unmet need that I saw in the early childhood classroom of teaching social and emotional skills in an explicit, but fun and engaging way. Okay, so let's talk about that. So social and emotional skills are something that I feel like educators are very attuned to like that verbiage. And we say, right, SEL curriculum and everybody in teaching and education knows what that means. But can Mm -hmm. you explain to parents who might not be familiar with the concept of social and emotional learning, what that is and what it looks like? Sure, not a problem. It's interesting. When I started this business in 2015, SEL or social and emotional learning was definitely not a thing. And in the last five years, it's now like such a buzzword in education and amongst teachers and administration. So it's interesting how seeing the shift. Um, But yeah, so social and emotional learning comprises of uh, five key learning areas. It's about having self-awareness, So in cultivating a greater understanding of your emotions, goal setting, beliefs, your strengths and and weaknesses, and like recognizing the link between thoughts and these actions, Um, self-management, so understanding your emotions and actions and how to regulate them through self-management, responsible decision-making, and social awareness which is understanding your community and those from, that are different from you in terms of race, gender, culture, age, and religion, and relationship skills. So establishing those important 
relationships and communication skills about like cooperation, listening and managing conflict. I love that. And so we were talking about this before, but as I'm sure if you've listened to my podcast before, you know that I teach high school, used to teach high school kids. And we were talking about how, um, you know, a lot of the times children these days are kind of coming up and not necessarily having these skills. And you said you saw this like unmet need. And um, what I love about this is that it's, it's teaching kids and it's implementing curriculum at the stage where they're actually naturally curious and naturally learning about these things. I would love for you to talk more about that. Um, Montessori is something that we love, the, the um, philosophy, Montessori philosophy, and try to follow that. I would say, you know, fairly closely philosophically, we don't necessarily like our day to day doesn't necessarily look like a Montessori like school, but we try to follow that philosophy. And I love this idea of like this learning period where that age group is like very sensitive to learning about these concepts. So can you just talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So yeah, Montessori is a really wonderful way Um, and philosophy of education for early childhood because it is very hands-on and also Montessori focuses on this period it's called like a sensitive period it's a period of psychological development in the child so it is a period of very limited time where the children has very powerful capabilities like if you think how much you learn from when you're zero to six you learn to walk talk read, communicate, like so many things. And as you grow older, that learning really slows down. So that period of zero to six is such an important time of development for a child. And it's at these times that kids form foundations of their knowledge. So it's at these times where it's really important to instill ideas about social and emotional learning and skills at this time. Um, And Maria Montessori called this time the absorbent mind. So it's the belief that from birth to six is the most important time of life. You know, your child grows from unconscious to conscious learner. And, you know, the child learns more in this period of life than any other. Yeah, that's why I kind of focus on this period, because that is when children are really ready to receive all this important knowledge and information and the best way that these children learn it is through doing is through observing uh, and mirroring what they see in their immediate world that means at home is the first place where it's so important that we instill these values awesome so um being as obviously important home right home is important in so many ways and whatever that looks like the family unit and, you know, whoever is caring for the child in their home environment, what are some simple, I, cause I think that's another thing is like, sometimes people hear these big terms and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't, there's no way that I could do this or I can't implement this or I don't get it. Or it just seems like something that's maybe a little bit too difficult for them to implement. Does that make sense? So I would love some thoughts about how parents can, fairly easily and maybe with stuff that's kind of in their own, like they don't have to go out and purchase special materials, right? Like there's definitely stuff you can do at home that's very basic. So maybe just some, some like activities that or things parents could 
do from home that are easy for them? Sure. I mean, ha- uh, teaching your kids social emotional skills, you don't need anything. It's just about how you carry yourself through life because you are your child's biggest teacher. They learn from you. Even if you think they're not listening, they are observing, they are absorbing everything you do. So it really starts with you. How do you conduct yourself? How do you carry yourself through life? Do you smile at people? Are you kind to people? The way of your tone of voice when you talk to people, the, those are the really important sort of aspects that children are looking at. So it really starts with you and how you carry yourself. And I think it's about like taking care of yourself and having that reflection of, you know, how is my own like mental and state around social and emotional well-being for myself? Yeah. Um, and I think that starts with you. And I think that it's about like establish establishing routines, giving your child structure so they know sort of where to take risks, where to push boundaries and to give like uh, a rhythm to the day. So I think that is important because children can then be comfortable when they know what's coming next. So kids really like to have a routine and know what's coming next Um, and I think that's you know just it's like making the home yeah with routines and structures because kids really respond well to boundaries um, and it makes them feel safe and that's what you want to establish is like a safe home where children feel like they can make mistakes push the boundaries take risks you want to know about like practical tips of being kind Uh, You could do things like being kind to yourself, being kind to your siblings, being kind to your community. You can take a recycled box. You can go around your home. You can collect toys to give to others. I use a lot of recycled play in my home. So I use a lot of like toilet paper rolls. I use things that I have already to create activities. But I really think it comes down to you and how you conduct yourself. So, yeah, as I said, how you talk to others, how you behave, and how you're kind to others. I love that. And you you talked a little bit about, like, being able to express their emotion, like having, you know, a tantrum or having, like, having these big feelings and pushing boundaries. And that's one of the things that I think is interesting. Um, one, something I was reading a while back, I, I'm like a big child development book reader. Um, and it was just all about how shifting the mindset of like kids are literally built to push boundaries. Like that's what they're supposed to do because it helps them make sense of the world and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And that always stuck with me as a parent, because, you know, when you're dealing with kids, right. And we're talking about like making sure that we're showcasing our best selves and kindness and tone of voice and all these things. But when you're, you know, when you're home with kids or when you're dealing with young kids, especially, especially this age group, like three to six, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a lot. And one yes. of the things that I, like so much, um, and one of the things I felt like really helped me was understanding that like your kids are not just like trying to make things hard for you, right? Like they are, that that is what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be kind of pushing to see what can I get away with? Where's the boundary? Like, 
is this person going to be consistent in holding the boundary? And like the more that you can kind of switch that mindset, I guess it is. I think that's something that can help just ease a little bit of that pressure, if that makes sense. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah. I mean, the emotion thing, that's another piece. Like it's okay to have a range of emotions and you should, you know, your children should observe you having a range of emotions um, because as adults, I have a range of emotions throughout the day. So of course your child is going to have that. And when you have a young child, they don't know how to express their emotions or manage their emotions. So we have to help them guide them through that. So I think naming feelings is really important. Like I see you're, you're frustrated. I see you're angry. And just having that acknowledgement of like where they're at um, and also letting your, your child see you have a range. Like even if you do snap, even if you do get angry, maybe not in that moment, but later, you know, oh, I'll say them like, I, yeah, of course you snap at your kids when you're trying to do something else, for example, and like maybe not in that moment, but later in the day, I'll say, you know, I, I snapped at you because I was doing something else and I apologize for having, you know, for being that way or whatever it is, like to address it later with your child. Or the other day, like I was crying and my daughter saw me and she's like, mommy, you're crying. I'm like, yeah, I am crying because I'm sad. So just like not hiding your emotions in yeah. front of your kids is helpful. I think it's just... And yeah, and and acknowledging them and giving them a name. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think it's, it's important, like, like what you said about like, there's no bad emotions, like they just are Mm -hmm. right. Like making Mm -hmm. sure, like you said, you said, I remember there's only been a few times I'm not a big crier, (laughs) um, just in general, like I mostly cry out of frustration or feelings like of overwhelm is kind of what would get me to cry. And so I, there have been a few situations where I have gotten to the point where I've cried and like my kids look on their faces, they're like, oh my God, what is wrong? You know? And it's like this big, like, they're like, what is happening to mom? Well, it's like, well, growing ups cry, like what's exactly. going on? But yes, growing ups do cry and that's totally okay. And it makes them, when they cry, feel okay and not bad for crying. Exactly. And, and, that and was- also when kids are having a big emotion, don't wish it away or you'll be okay or stop crying. Yep. You know, imagine if someone turned that around to you and said those things when you were crying, stop crying, yes. you know? <laughs> like, yes, I love like, that. Hey, that's, that's so unkind. <laughs> and they were like, they just looked at me and they were like, not sure. And I, one of my, my oldest one, he's very, very like sensitive, just it, heart. He's just, he's just a very sensitive person. And he, he like started to tear up and I was like, it's okay. Like I'm not, you know, like he was not sure what was going on. And so it was like, I had to get it out. And then I like said, you know, I'm feeling really frustrated right now because no one is listening to me. That was probably what it was. Um, you know, and I'm sure there was like a million other things going on, but cause if I cried every time nobody listened to me, I'd be like in tears all day. <laughs> so, um, and I, I love how you're, you talked also about, um, you know, seeing that grownups have feelings too. And I think that's a big thing. Like we try to hide our feelings or we try to brush them off, like saying, oh, you're okay. You're okay. And sometimes like, I feel like older adults in my life, you know, family friends, or even like my mom or my mother-in-law will sometimes say things like that. Like, oh, you're fine. You're fine. You know, you're, it's not a big deal. 
And it's hard because it's kind of like, that's just the way that it was. Like, that's just what they were told. So it's just like that automatic Mm -hmm. reaction. And it's hard to kind of recondition yourself. And I find myself sometimes doing the same thing, but I'm trying to be more aware and saying like, you know, things more that are more just kind of acknowledging like, oh, you know, it sounds like you're really upset or whatever it is, like acknowledging the feeling versus saying like what you said, like, you know, yes, okay. Having like, yes. And like having a go-to line, like, so when you are seeing your kid in emotion, instead of like, yes, like snapping back into the, like, oh, what you were told as a kid when you had an emotion, I, I use like something that I use all the time. So it's just always at the top of my head. I see you are. I see you are sad. I see you are frustrated. And and so that is, you know, one way that I have it in my head. So if they are experiencing whatever emotion it is, that's kind of what I say as like a way to not have that knee jerk reaction to say, you'll be okay. And, you know, pull your bootstraps up and dust it off. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's so interesting because I've actually thought about this a lot. Like I wish there was just like a, a one page, like printable of like when your kid does, like when you want to say this instead of, and I'm sure it's out there, but like when you, instead of saying this, say this, because it is hard in the moment you're, you know, you do revert back to what you, you know, how, however it was kind of taught to you in, in a lot of ways in parenting in general, but just. Yeah. And it's also like wanting that emotion to stop. You want that emotion to stop because it's making you feel uncomfortable. It's like, oh, I don't want them to be crying. I just want them to stop because it's making me uncomfortable. It's triggering. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like, I think one of the biggest things too, and I've, I've sort of been digging into this a little bit more um, because I've been trying to um, just evaluate my own social and emotional state, like especially through these this past year and a half where I've been home and I've been feeling very overwhelmed in a lot of ways that typically I wouldn't necessarily feel because I had such like much more of a separation be- between home and work. But having that, like acknowledging that my own social emotional space and figuring out what triggers me and really trying to say like, for example, for me, it's like whining, which I know is a lot of parents have a lot of the same, like we all, and I wouldn't say we all, but many parents have many of the same triggers. And I don't know if that's like a psychological thing, but it's like the whining, right. Or just like the loud noises. I'm like, oh my gosh, at the, end of the day I'm so overloaded, like auditory overload. And, and so it's like, I'm like, okay, well, my kid is going to whine. Like that's, they're, they're going to do that because that's, that's developmentally appropriate. So then it's like, how do I react? Or like, what is my way that I can kind of protect my own mental health? Because if I can't protect my own, right, then like what you're saying, it's like, I'm going to snap or I'm going to, I'm not going to be able to respond in a way that's the best way to respond if I'm not in the space, if that makes sense. Um, Yes. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to like, get separation like my thing is like sometimes I get touched out like I just oh can't, gosh, yes. like being crawled on touched mm-hmm. constantly that's my thing by the end of the day I'm like sometimes I just need that space so sometimes I just need to take that space even if it's like five minutes yeah um, I think that's so funny like, you say that. my my we have these like beanbag chairs and I sit on it you know it's like one of we have one of them in the living room and I sit in it and it's like, everyone just like flocks. And I'm like, why? 
go away. Like, <laughs> you know, and then it's like, they're climbing on the back of it. So they're climbing like up mm-hmm. over my shoulders almost. And like almost on my head. And all the time I'm like, you know how much I can't stand when you do this. Like, I mean, to my older one, he's six. I'm like, Henry, like I tell you all the time. And, and I know that he's not doing it on purpose. It's just, you know, they don't remember stuff he like that. He wants to be near and you. He wants I, to be. I'm like, oh yeah. my God. Like, I'm like, and you know, I'm just like cringing because I'm like, oh my God, someone's going to step on my head. And then I've got the baby nursing and the two-year-old's like pulling my shirt down because she's like milk. And I'm like, no, not for you. And then it's just like chaos. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just need like physical space. And I, that's one thing that I do. And I don't know, I would love your thoughts about uh, like your recommendation on this, but one of the phrases that I use a lot, (laughs) I feel like maybe more than I should, is like, I need space. And I, and I teach them too. like, if one of them is getting in the other space, I'll kind of prompt them to say like, do you need space? Or, you know, so-and-so looks like they need space to make it more of like a normalized thing, I guess. Like, I think that kids need to understand that parents need space, right? Like they need space. They quiet. Like it's not something to feel. I feel like there's a lot of guilt around that. Like parents feel like, oh, if I'm not letting my kids constantly be on me and constantly talk to me and constantly do this, then like I'm a bad parent or I feel guilty. And I'm like, and I do feel guilty about it, but I feel like I shouldn't. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I I think it also (laughs) comes back into that um, idea of like being independent. Like your child can have independence from you and that that's okay because you need to have space to do whatever else you need to do even though they don't understand that my daughter at her school they taught her about a bubble like they have a like a bubble and like when someone's coming into their space they say you're you know you're coming into my bubble and so she says that to me at home sometimes so I kind of use her same language And I say, you know, you're coming into mommy's bubble when I need a little bit of time. So she understands because that's the language she uses. Yeah. And it's a good Um, visual. And it's kind of like a fun. Yes, exactly. Because it's like a really good visual. It's like, oh, I have a bubble around me and I need my, it means I need my space. Um, Yeah. So that's something that I use. If the bubble pops, then <laughs> um, no. Um, so yeah, no, I, I love that. And it, it's, again, going back to this, like I have been finding parents, moms especially, because, you know, I mostly interact with moms. So, it's, it, you know, that's just kind of who I, on the, you know, in social media, on, you know, in all my groups and things like that. I'm mostly interacting with, with mothers. And I feel like they feel so guilty about even saying, like, sometimes people are like, you know, they feel bad about even saying that they want some space from their kids. And I'm like, wow, we've gotten to the point where we can't even in our own circles say that we want space without feeling judged, if that makes sense. And it's it's hard because I, I agree. I think that's part of our own social and emotional well-being. And like what you're saying, it's like hard to learn at this age unless you're really conscious of it because we're supposed to learn this when we're three to six. So if we didn't or if like we were lacking in whatever way – you know, that's going to obviously impact like how we are as adults, I guess. Right. And then also, yeah, about the guilt thing. It's like, yeah, I try not compare myself to what others do are doing or how they conduct their family because you never really know what goes on behind closed doors and you kind of just yeah. got to do whatever works for you. 
And if you need that space, that is okay. And I think having kids being like constantly paid attention to and constantly entertained, I think that doesn't help with their independent skills and creating skills and imagination skills. And sometimes like it's okay to have quiet time. I love that. That is speaking my language. That's like what I'm all about. I'm like, stop entertaining your kids. Like they get used to it. And then that's just, they think that you're there to just constantly entertain them. Right. And then they don't know what to do when they have five minutes alone. Yeah. And then that's when like parents are feeling like, oh my gosh, I have to set up like all these activities. I have to do this craft. I have to give them the iPad. I have to. And it's like, no, let them be bored. Like, it's okay. They can be bored. Yeah, just like, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that the independent play thing is so important because it does foster that imagination and creative play when there isn't an adult there directing them to do this, to do that. And kids can kind of just act out or create in a way that they want to, not at the behest of an adult saying, do this or this is how it goes. They can make up their own rules and see where their imagination takes them. And yeah, I agree. Sometimes like I love doing arts and crafts with my kids, but I also have stations that I set up that my kids love to do. So I have a five and a half year old. She loves doing arts and crafts. So I have a table that's out. It's got pens, papers, glues, you know, sticky tape or whatever she's in feathers or whatever she's into at the time. And that's like, she can just wander off there and go and do that by herself without me directing play. So yeah, I find no, having those so stations set up or like my son's into right now, like the magnetile. So I have that out like right in front of his face. So it's something yeah. that he can do without me directing or having to hover over him, even though he's two. A lot of the times when I talk to parents, they're like, oh, my kid is too little to play independently. My kid is too little to do this. You know, um, my kid is too little to like drink out of a real cup or use a real fork or go outside by themselves or whatever it is. Like, it's always like they, I think we just in general underestimate what our kids are capable of. And like you said, if it's right there and you have open-ended toys for your kids and you have this, you give them the space to do with the, with, with what they want with those toys without you interjecting and constantly trying to guide or narrate them, then it's, it's like you would be like, I think people would be blown away by what their kids are capable of doing without them. And I think part of that is like, maybe parents don't want that. Like, I don't know, maybe that's a, like, I think think it's more like societal (laughs) norms. Like what is a societal norm? When our parents, when we were younger, it was more of a, well, I can talk myself. It was more like, you know, go, go and less management. Whereas now societal norms are like, we have to manage our kids all the time. And so that's what everyone else is doing. And that's what we, I should be doing too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my son's not, he's 18 months and we have like, for an example, a play kitchen outside and yeah, he gets wet, but you know, I take off his clothes and change him, but you know, he he can play with that for half an hour, which is really good for a you know, yeah. not even two-year-old but like it's got the water it's got little animals it's got things and he just you know potters around and I kind of let him go of course I'm there to make sure he doesn't harm himself I'm not like off doing something else 
sending him outside by himself, totally unsupervised, but right. I, and I think giving kids those little opportunities and obviously, you know, you gauge your kid, you gauge your situation. Like if you're living in a city and you don't have a safe, like, of course it's going to be different, but that's where like common sense comes in, you know, you gauge your situation and your kids, you know, personality and past experience, and then trying to just like inch by inch, give them a little bit more. Thank you so much. Do you want to tell everybody where they can find you on social media, your website, all that stuff? Sure. You can find me at worldoflittledude.com and on Instagram at worldoflittledude. And thank you so much for having me here today. It was lovely to chat to you. We have many symmetries and alignments. So it was really lovely to connect. Yes, I love it. Thank you so much. You don't want to miss out, right? Woo-hoo. Hey, friend. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Play, Learn, Thrive show. I'm happy you stopped by for another week of learning with me. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. I so appreciate your feedback. I'd also love for you to join our community of over 20,000 parents on Instagram. You can find us at Play, Learn, Thrive Kids. 